seated. Thank you. Praise team. Craig, you're getting fired up, man. You hit that snare hard on that last one, man. I just, Sorry about that. No, I liked it. Is that a new bass too, Brad? Nice. Happy, Merry Christmas to you, man. You know, Aaron's so thoughtful in the songs that he picks. That uh, text is taken largely from Isaiah chapter 53. And today marks a, a new day in our church because we're going to dive into the text of Isaiah for about 10 and a half months. And if that scares you or concerns you, let me assure you I'm going to hold your hand. It's going to be fine. We're going to have a fun trip through Isaiah. We're going to be exploring God's Word together in a whole new kind of way. Uh, we, we've done the Gospel of John, spent a year in the Gospel of John. That was 12 full months. And then we did 11 months in the book of Acts, but today we're going to start a journey through Isaiah. And we're only going to cover one verse today. There's a football game that starts at 12 that I know I'd like to see. My son's very excited about it, so we're only going to cover one short verse today. Uh, it's amazing how much you can get out of one verse, though. You'll be surprised. Uh, it's not going to be a 10-minute sermon, but uh, it will be out of here in time to go watch football, I promise you today. Exciting time in the life of our city. We need some good news, so pulling for the Titans today. It is good to be back with you. Morgan and I really appreciated uh, time away with our family. Uh, I didn't realize how much I needed to get away, but uh, I hope that you all are balancing your rest and work schedules uh, maybe better than me. Uh, I'm really grateful again to our staff to keep things running, keep praying for Rachel. She's uh, uh, tested positive for the virus, so she's at home quarantining. She got that filmed before she got sick. Uh, she's feeling a lot better now, and uh, she'll be back to work on Wednesday or Thursday when she's out of her quarantine. Our end of the year giving was strong. Uh, we're in a good place financially. Don't let that deter you from giving. Please continue to give. But uh, our missions offering, we exceeded our goal. Our goal was $40,000, and that was a stretch budget. And as you see here, we actually got $42,410 for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, $5,450 for the CBF Global Missions offering, a total of $47,860, which is almost $11,000 more than the Christmas offering was a year ago. Remember, a year ago, we were not in a pandemic, and now all this stuff is happening, and you guys continue to be so generous uh, with your gifts and offerings. So thank you. Uh, praise God for that. And this all will go 100% to world missions to fund uh, missionaries around the world. This, by the way, puts us like in the top five Baptist churches in Middle Tennessee in terms of mission giving offerings. So it's incredible, uh, a church of our size, not a huge church, but being able to uh, give so generously to world missions. It's something that we actually believe in here to make disciples of all nations. We believe that's our biblical mission. Again, we're going to jump into Isaiah today. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 is going to be our text. And I'm going to try not to be too professorial and didactic here. I just use the word didactic, which is probably a professorial thing to say. But uh, I'm going to try to give you an overview quickly of Isaiah so you understand what this book is and, and what we're talking about and where we're coming from. You know, uh, if you look at the original languages of the Bible— the book of Isaiah would be the fifth longest book in all of the Bible, behind Jeremiah, Genesis, Psalms, and Ezekiel. 
But a lot of the early church fathers referred to Isaiah as the great prophet. Some of them even called it Isaiah the fifth gospel because there's so much Jesus in the book of Isaiah. Written, you know, 740 years before the birth of Christ, but it still is saturated about the coming Messiah. And besides the Psalms, the New Testament quotes more from the book of Isaiah than any other book of the Hebrew Bible. So Isaiah is a prophet. Again, we've, we've spent a year in John, which is about, you know, uh, the gospel account of Jesus's life and death and resurrection. And then we spent a year in Acts, talking about the history of the early church. And now we're in prophecy. What is prophecy all about? Old Testament biblical prophecy. Well, some of you hear the word prophecy, you start to think of, like psychics or something telling the future, but that's not what biblical prophecy is about. Biblical prophecy is about a lot more than telling what will happen. It's about telling what is happening now with clarity and insight that comes from God. The biblical prophets cut through the fog of this broken world and they show us this revealed reality as it truly is. It's like getting a peek behind the curtain of this world to look behind the veil of this world. The prophets in the Bible were truth speakers. If you have the gift of prophecy today, it means not that you can just, you know, see the future. It means that you can cut through what is happening around and tell the truth plainly and boldly. They, they spoke truth to power and to the powerless as well, giving good news to the powerless. Some people in the Bible received the word of the prophets, received the truth that the prophets told them, and some people did not. Guess which one there were more of? <laughs> more people did not accept the truth of the prophets. So the question for us then, this year, as we walk through Isaiah, is this. Will we receive the truth that Isaiah is telling us? Will we accept it as reality, or will we continue to look to other things to define our reality? Do we really want to know the truth? Isaiah confronts us with the truth in such a way that you might, he might point at us and say, you can't handle the truth. That's kind of how I feel when I read Isaiah. It's uncomfortable, it's unsettling. It's things that maybe I don't want to be confronted about. But the truth is always better than lies. Living in reality is always better than living in falsehood. But if we're honest, we kind of like the lies. We kind of like the careful little lies that we've cushioned our lives with. And if we hear truth, it's going to require us to make a decision. Are we going to change or are we gonna stay the same where we are? Do we have the courage to listen to the truth of Isaiah throughout this series, even when it messes up our preconceived notions of what is real and good and what is true about what things really are? You know, the prophet Isaiah wants to show us more about God and more about ourselves than we've ever seen before. But here's the thing, it's gonna cause us then to shift our priorities, our passions, maybe even our politics, yikes. But here's what I'm convinced of. 
It's always better to live in reality. And in what is real, God defines reality. God defines reality. Living in God's reality is the best way to live, period. Living in falsehoods that are you know, propagated by the, the various uh, media that we take in and through the constant advertisements and, and marketing culture and consumer culture that we live in, living in those falsehoods will always let us down in the end. You know, ultimately living for lies is going to lead to pain and to ultimately to destruction. It's kind of what Rachel was talking about. Things of this world are never going to satisfy us ultimately. The truth is sooner or later, even our family and our friends are going to let us down. Our own ambitions and our, our dreams that we chase after leave us like a, a dog chasing after a car, right? It seems like fun at the, the moment, but then what happens when that dog catches the car? It's not so fun then. Some of you have had dogs who've encountered cars and it hasn't gone well. That's kind of like our ambitions and our dreams that we have a lot of times in this world if they are not of God. So to throw ourselves into Isaiah means to listen to Isaiah daring us to bet our lives on God alone, to abandon ourselves fully to the truth as God sets it in Isaiah and, and dive into that with abandon. If, if all you want, you know, in a sermon series is something that'll make you feel good about yourself and kind of a Christianity light kind of series, uh, if you're looking for some good stories and some jokes, then Isaiah probably is not the book for you. But if you're ready to live into reality as God sets it, if you're really interested in who God actually is, if you're ready to encounter the living God, the holy God, if you're ready for a sense of his presence in your life constantly, then I believe Isaiah can show us the way. It reminds me of that uh, opening scene in the, the Hobbit, the first uh, Hobbit movie or the, the book, The Hobbit, when Gandalf shows up at Bilbo's house, Gandalf the wizard shows up at this little hobbit house and he invites Bilbo to go on a great adventure. And Bilbo says, adventure? No, I, I don't do anything that's unexpected. I don't go on adventures. And then Gandalf starts to encourage him to go and starts to talk him into it. And Bilbo says, well, let me ask you this. If I go, can you promise that I'll return? And Gandalf says, no, I can't promise that. But if you do return, you will not be the same. If we walk through the book of Isaiah prayerfully, with our hearts open, with our minds open, with our eyes and ears open, then we will go on a journey. And when we come back, we will not be the same. Our text for today, again, is only one verse. It's kind of an introduction or a title to the entire message of Isaiah. And I want us to just start here to really start to grasp what Isaiah is all about. It's going to set us up for the rest of the series. So here's our only verse for today. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. You can read it on the screen with me or in your Bible. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz. 
which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A short text today. How can we possibly get a sermon out of this one verse? Well, I'm using a commentary uh, by a guy named Ray Ortland, who used to pastor Christ Presbyterian Church, and he breaks this verse down into three key questions. We're going to look at three key questions that are raised and answered in this text for today. We're going to look at the what, the who, and the when of Isaiah. The what, the who, and the when. So let's start with the first question. What are we dealing with here? What is the book of Isaiah? Well, it says here that what we're reading in verse 1, it says that this is the vision of Isaiah which he saw. This book of Isaiah is a vision of a prophet. It's a prophetic vision, which again is not like someone who's in a trance who, you know, gets this vision from heaven. That's not what we're talking about here. It's a prophetic vision. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says that what Isaiah saw was the word that Isaiah saw. It's a word. It's a revelation. It's information. It's something that's revealed to him by God that is shown to Isaiah and now is shown to us. It's a word from God, not from Isaiah, not from Nathan. This is a word from God. And prophets have a way, again, of seeing things that God shows them that sets up reality as it truly is. They have a way of seeing things as they actually are. But no matter how smart or well-spoken or how well-trained the, the prophets are, it has to be God who shows them the truth. It has to be God who pulls the curtain back. It has to be God who reveals the truth to them. It can't be something they stumble on by themselves. So what we're going to see in this vision is, is an opportunity that God gives to Isaiah where it's kind of like he lifts him up to be able to see a God-based perspective on reality. You know, we were all devastated by the news on Christmas morning of the bombing on 2nd Avenue. I was born and raised in Nashville, and uh, I have so many memories on 2nd Avenue, as a lot of you do as well. I know uh, family dinners at the old spaghetti factory, and uh, we used to go on dates. Morgan and I would go get dessert at the melting pot when we were in college, and just so many good memories. But one of them uh, was Laser Quest. You ever heard of Laser Quest? I know, I think, Stacy, you probably chaperoned some trips to Laser Quest with me when we were doing youth ministry together. Uh, well, Laser Quest, you know, is this three-story arena where you put on, you know, a laser vest and you have a little laser zapper and you run around trying to zap other people and you get points and it shows up on a scoreboard. And uh, we spent many hours there doing youth ministry. I'm sure teenagers in the back know uh, what I'm talking about, have been there several times. But the first time I went in there, I was like 11 or 12, I think, when it opened, and I was terrified because it's huge, and it's dark in there, and you can't see anything, and they have smoke machines, and there's uh, mirrors that you think are people, but you're really just shooting yourself. You know, it's, it's very confusing and, and intimidating. But one time I noticed there's a little restricted area at the very top, and there's a referee who's usually like a 15-year-old kid, right, who's <laughs> up at this very top, and he can kind of oversee the whole game and yell at kids who are running or, you know, doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Uh, but he has a perspective that no one else in the game has 
because he's up in that little crow's nest area. He's able to oversee everything that's happening while we're just running around trying to figure out what's going on. That's kind of the view that Isaiah gets, not just of his world. Isaiah gets a, a view of not only what's going on with people around him, but he gets a view of God himself, the one who created the world. He gets insight into who people really are and who God really is. And it's God who dominates the whole book of Isaiah. It's not about who people are as much as it is about who God is. He's the central character. He's the main character throughout the book of Isaiah as he rightly should be. And what Isaiah saw in that little crow's nest perspective, he could never have seen for himself if God had not shown him. And we have a tendency, you know, in our lives to give a lot of head space, a lot of heart space to, to secondary things, to things that don't ultimately matter. Like Rachel said, shiny new things, things that we think we want, things that make us uh, happy and excited for a time, but ultimately are just distractions. Uh, we sweat the small stuff. We tend to major on the minors. We tend to get distracted and, and preoccupied by things that don't really matter. In Isaiah, we're confronted with the reality that God is the unavoidable truth of every day, every moment, every place we go. God is there. He is the main character in everything that we do. John Calvin said the Christian must surely be so disposed and minded that he feels within himself it is God he has to deal with throughout his life. Everywhere we go, we're reminded of God's presence, that he goes before us, that he is with us, that he is confronting us constantly. That's the reality that Isaiah is seeing and that's the reality that he's calling us to live into. The problem is, a lot of times, we don't like that reality. We don't want to be confronted by a holy God every minute of every day. In our fallen flesh, our instincts say, I don't want that. We resist that call to change and to live fully into God's presence, which makes us uncomfortable a lot of times. We, we defend ourselves against the truth of God's word. But Isaiah begs us in chapter 2, verse 5, one of my favorite verses in Isaiah, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's a good place to be. It's so much better than the darkness that you're wallowing in now. Come, let us walk in God's light, not in the lies that we've built for ourselves. Remember, one of my favorite ways to define the gospel is to look around at the mess of this world. It's so easy to see this week uh, as our nation's capital is uh, just, again, under evil uh, things happening there. And it's easy to look around and get, you know, uh, dismayed or discouraged uh, quickly. But the gospel is, is that it doesn't have to be this way. One of the best ways to define the gospel is it doesn't have to be this way. There's a better way, God's way, through Jesus Christ, his only son. It can, it can fix things. It can change what's going on. And it will one day fix everything as he makes all things new. 
that's the gospel. It doesn't have to be this way. The vision that Isaiah wants to share with us, if we're willing to hear it and to adjust to it accordingly, to, to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's the message of Isaiah. The other thing that we should note here about the what of Isaiah, the opening verse again says that this is the vision of Isaiah, not the visions of Isaiah. Why is that? Because this book is really an anthology of everything that was shown to Isaiah throughout his lifetime of prophetic living. There's a lot of controversy among scholars over why certain things in Isaiah are out of order or, or how could possibly uh, one person have written this whole thing. And let me just say three quick things about the, the scholarly uh, controversy on Isaiah. I think there's a real person named Isaiah that God called and through whom he would speak. Two, I think it's entirely possible that a group of editors or followers of Isaiah may have compiled this book into the final form that we have today. And that's okay with me because third and most importantly, I believe the book of Isaiah is exactly as God intended it to be. Does that make sense? No matter how it got put together, it was God who was doing it. And ultimately, it's the word of God, not the word of any group of people who decided what to write. It was what God wanted written. Does that make sense? That's all I'll say about those controversies. The second question raised in verse 1 is who? Who's talking? And to whom are they speaking in the book of Isaiah? The first answer is easy, right? This is Isaiah, the son of Amoz. We don't know who Amoz was. The, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But we do know in Scripture that uh, there is a, a king called Amaziah, who we think maybe was his brother, which would make Isaiah in the royal family which means he risked a lot to obey God's call to prophesy and to speak the truth. If he was a member of the royal family, he could have lived a life of ease and luxury, but he chose not to do that. Most scholars agree that Isaiah was a resident of the capital city of Jerusalem. But the most important thing for us to catch about Isaiah is his name, a name that I like so much, my wife likes so much that we gave it to our third child. Isaiah means the Lord saves. God saves. Not work hard and save yourself. Not accumulate things on earth where moth and rust destroy until you can be saved. This man's very identity announces grace from beyond ourselves. The Lord saves. The Lord alone saves. It is God who saves, nothing else, not God plus anything, not God plus status, not God plus power, not God plus wealth, not God plus political power, not God plus the right nationality or ethnicity. That's a tough sell for a lot of us because the problem is our hearts are so easily convinced that something else could save us, that we need something else to, to bring us to a right state. You know, the, we chase after things that we think will save us, and often these are good things. You know, a, a healthy family, great. A, a good job, great. Uh, you know, a, a healthy uh, economy, okay, that's, that's great. Our own health, you know, fitness, okay, those are good things. But they are not ultimate 
things. Tim Keller calls those things counterfeit gods. They're fake gods that cannot deliver on the promises of what we really want and what we really need. The biblical word for this is idolatry. And the main concern of Isaiah in this whole book is idolatry. You may say, not a problem for me. I don't have any Asherah poles in my house. I don't have a shrine set up in my living room to my ancestors or to some other gods. I'm not an idolater. But the problem is that we all are idolaters. John Calvin says our hearts are idol factories, just churning out idols one after the other. We all uh, understand that, that God is powerful, but do we understand the power of non-gods? We create ways to avoid the reality of the God of all creation by creating what Charles Taylor, the philosopher, calls a buffered self. We insulate our lives against the hard truths of reality as God sets it. You know, we distance ourselves emotionally and mentally from death. My friend Matt McCullough, Trinity Church, who meets here and does their baptisms, they just merged with a church in East Nashville. East, um, what's it called? I forgot the name of it. Uh, it's right over across the river. Edgefield, that's it, Edgefield Church. I knew Lil or Calvin would know. Edgefield Church now is what their name is. And Matt wrote a book called Remember Death. And I said, Matt, that's really not a very catchy title. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I know. The editor of the, uh, the publishing company said, you gotta change that title. And he said, no, Remember Death. That's the name of the book, I'm not changing it. People have got to remember death. It's part of reality as God sets it, right? And we, we try to avoid it make it real private and, and isolated. You know, uh, avoiding the reality of who God is is idol manufacture. Again, Tim Keller says, sin shrugs at God. The essence of sin is failing to believe not that God exists, but that he matters. That attitude is deadly. You know, a few years ago, I was actually given an amazing gift, uh, a very generous person, <clears throat> actually gave me LASIK surgery on my eyes. Incredible. But uh, it's an amazing thing to have 20-20 vision. But the process was intense. Uh, they put this little spring-loaded, this might creep some of you out if your eyes are, you know, sensitive. They put a spring-loaded uh, device to keep your eye open because they don't want your eyelid to get zapped, right? And so it, they put this thing that holds your eye open. Isaiah kind of does that to us. He, he opens our eyes to who God is and says, don't blink. Don't look away from who God is. It's, it's God who saves. Everything else is going to lead you astray. It's God alone. That's the message of Isaiah as reflected in his name. God saves sinners. God's announcing to us through the book of Isaiah, God, for all that he is, saves for all that's worth, sinners, who, for all that we need. That truth is better than we give it credit for. The people of Isaiah's day had an unrealistic appraisal of themselves. They thought, hey, we're the people of God. We live in Judah. We live in Jerusalem. We're doing pretty good. We're God's chosen people. They even went through the motions of biblical faith, keeping the laws, making sacrifices, giving lip service to God in worship and in rituals, and, and they even gave money to the temple. But they saw no relevance of God on their daily lives. 
They saw complete, in an ignorant way that God was not involved in their life. And that, that ignorance played right into their enemy's hands, as we're going to see. It destroyed them. You know, in the Lutheran church, anybody here grew up Lutheran? I know some Lutherans. In the Lutheran church, when you come as a candidate for baptism, the priest will publicly and solemnly ask the candidate, do you renounce all the forces of evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? That may sound trite or or ceremonial, you know, or kind of old-fashioned, but it's the question on which our lives turn, moment by moment, day by day. Whose promises are we believing Are we banking on God's promises of salvation or on the empty promises of counterfeit gods? Ray Ortland says in his commentary, if we're not letting God save us, we are exposing ourselves to the forces of evil more than we know. But as the truth of the Lord saves, breaks upon us with prophetic clarity, it becomes a powerful resource for living. The question of who this book was written by is Isaiah, but who is it written to? Let's quickly talk about that. It's to Judah and to Jerusalem, it says. Isaiah will certainly speak to other nations throughout the book of Isaiah. So why does it say it's addressed to Judah and Jerusalem? Well, Paul House says that Judah and Jerusalem constitute the sun around which these other nations orbit in Isaiah. Again, the main character in Isaiah is God, not the Jewish people, but we see throughout the book how God's covenant people are the means by which he desires to carry out his good purposes for the world. Again, God's covenant people are to be the conduit of his blessing to all the families of the world. We are Abraham's offspring, Galatians 3 says. We are now the new covenant people of God through whom he desires to bring his good purposes to the world. Again, this is speaking to us. Isaiah is written to God's people who are set apart to do God's purposes in the world. Remember that Jesus told his followers in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden That means we should apply, we, the church, should apply Isaiah's message not to America, not to any other political entity, but to the covenant people of God, the holy universal church. If that's true, then nothing's more important for the state of the world than the state of the church. That's a bold claim, isn't it? Nothing's more important for the state of the world than the state of of the church, if what Jesus says is true. God chose us to be the conduit through which his blessing would overflow to all the families of the earth. Again, I love how Ray Ortland puts it. If the world is not experiencing the grace of God, the church is not being true to its destiny. What the world most needs is the church so obviously saved that the church is an alternative to convert to. Are we giving the world an alternative to what they're seeing that is different, that they can actually convert to? That brings us to our final question. When, verse 1 says that this vision came in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. These are the kings of Judah from 740 to 690. A lot changed in that time period. When that time period began, Judah was doing great. 
that experienced peace and prosperity for a long time, but they knew that was coming to an end. It was about to be a dark time, a time of great change, a time of turmoil, a time of unprecedented time. Maybe we're not the only ones living in unprecedented times. We'll see how a major crisis in Isaiah, a shadow of danger which grows, comes upon Judah. How would people react? Would they attempt to save themselves or would they turn to the living God? It's the same question we're asking today. Isaiah spoke his message of light into this growing darkness, but few people took him seriously. Tradition says that ultimately Isaiah was sawn in two uh, for his efforts. So why would Isaiah, a member of the royal family, keep going? Because what he saw was real, and we need to see it too. We need to embrace his vision of reality and not push it away today. The crises of our world, the many, many crises of our city, push us to discover what really matters, what's really important, what truly can save Will we turn to God or will we continue to look to idols for our salvation, for our fulfillment? What are the counterfeit gods that you've been serving? What are the counterfeit gods that I've been serving? Are we willing to rethink everything in the light of this prophetic viewpoint that God saves sinners? It's the most underrated truth of all time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this vision of clarity and hope. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed to us things as they actually are. And as we go on this journey, we surely will be changed by what we experience, being confronted with who we really are and with who you really are. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that calls us into your light to live in reality as it is and that we would thrive and flourish there as we play our part in bringing about your good purposes for this broken world. We pray all these things in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I guess I need to give Aaron his microphone back. We're going to have a time of response now. I invite you in your heart to respond to the prophetic clarity that God saves sinners. If you've never given your life to Christ, there's no better time to do that than right now. If you want to become part of Woodmont Baptist Church, you're ready to say, I'm in. I want to be a member here and join in what God is doing here and be a part of this family of faith. Then I'd love to see you right now. Just come forward and I'd love to receive you as a candidate for membership. Whatever it is that you need to do during this time, don't leave this place without having honestly dealt with the living God of creation. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response.